Welcome to the Successful Life Podcast, your go-to source for insights and strategies in the HVAC, plumbing, and roofing industries. I'm Corey Barrier, here to guide you through transformative approaches to business and mindset. Each episode will explore unique methods, focusing on identifying and addressing the core challenges in your field. Our goal is to equip you and your team with practical solutions that foster growth and success. So whether you're tuning in for the first time or you're a longtime listener, get ready to dive into a wealth of knowledge and expertise. Let's begin our journey to success together. This is the successful life. It's Corey Barrier. Yeah, come learn with me. Take you down the path of our journeys. This is the successful life. It's time to take what you learn. Apply it to your life. It's your turn. To live a successful life. You are tuning in to the Successful Life Podcast. Three, two. Successful Life Podcast. I'm your host, Corey Barrier, and I have Tyler Hagel here. So, um, Hagel. We're gonna, did I say it wrong? Yeah, <laughs> Say it again. Tyler Hagley. Damn, I really butchered the fuck oh, out of that. <laughs> right now, there have only been two people in my life that have gotten it right when they first met me. That's hilarious. Yeah. So let's just dive right in. Tell it. I just want to hear your story, dude. I'm very interested in how you got where you are. And I think a lot of people would be interested to find out, you know, more about you and not to mention where you're going. Yeah, of course. So, yeah, like I said, my name's Tyler Hagley. I'm 34 years old. I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I didn't really have any, you know, if we're going all the way back to the beginning, like I didn't really have a troubled childhood. My childhood was actually pretty fucking awesome uh great parents they they were also those kind of parents that were they were cool parents but they didn't really know how to parent if that made sense like they didn't prepare me for the world uh which was kind of like a blessing and a curse in a way okay you know i <laughs> i have the mindset to like want to learn things but at the same time it was the just to give you an in, for instance you know going through high school like I didn't know how to, like, my parents didn't prepare me for prom or homecoming, or I never got to talk about girls. I didn't know what an ACT or an SAT test was until I was a junior in high school. Like, why do you, so why do you think that is? You know, I, I don't know. My parents just are not, they're, they're kind of the complete opposite of me. They, they just kind of like coast through life. Like they're, they're one of those cogs in the machine that, you know, the less responsibility that they have, the better. And they just, they're kind of like, here, go out into the world and figure this shit out, you know, <laughs> and, which is really interesting because my, especially with my mom's dad, who was the vice president of a federal reserve bank here in St. Louis, who was just very, you know, you guys are going to go this, 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 and this. And it, they had a very structured life growing up. So maybe on a subconscious level, she just didn't want to do that to me. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was interesting looking back a few years ago and really seeing how much they did not really parent me. Uh, but they were, they were cool. You know, like I grew up, uh, they were very supportive, though. always been the most supportive people, uh, especially when it came to sports. I, I was, I was pretty decent at, at my sports, especially baseball. I played year round, uh, traveled all over the world playing baseball. Uh, the plan was always to go pro and nothing, ever told me that I was not going to go pro and my parents fully believed it. Like if there was a, 
if there we if we were playing in a tournament or uh, you know whether it be my high school team or my summer league, I was always either the MVP or the you know uh, I would I just had all the accolades in baseball and like I said I was I was pretty good. What but, position do you mind me asking? Well, I played I played a number. So growing up, uh, I was very fortunate to have very good coaches. One of them was Lance Sherman, who was uh, an ex range or ex Texas Ranger uh, outfielder. And he was our pitching instructor. And then our other coach was Shane Eames, who was our hitting instructor, but he was also a scout for the Montreal, or I'm sorry, the uh, the Expos and the Marlins. So here's two people that are, you know, professionals in this sport, and they're coaching us at a very young age. So we were able to form discipline really quick, mental toughness. Um, you know, like usually if we won a game, they would – dissect and pick apart our game even more on those nights and we would have to run more at the end of it so it taught us that like you know don't don't dwell on your wins so to speak which is I think too many people do that right they they see a little bit of success here and then they you know they take their foot off the gas pedal and it's like fuck no you you reel it back in like there's a lot you left on the table there and so you know this is actually the first time I've talked about this so it's really interesting uh that I'm kind of figuring out like that's what they did from a really early stage. And I, I really never thought about that before, but yeah. So I grew up expecting to play pro baseball. Uh, girls were never a thing, you know, just because I didn't have time for them. Like it was go to school. Then my mom would pick me up. I would go to either soccer practice or baseball, depending on the day, because we didn't practice every day for baseball, but usually about four nights a week, even in the winter, we would run out like a, a gym and we would do running. We would do ground balls and, just we would do drills and uh, you know all the fundamentals and I loved it like baseball was life uh my friends were amazing uh just never really had anything the hardest part of my childhood this is sad was once so before I played for those two professional people we had the top team basically in the state uh we were called the, the St. Louis Carpenters and they were there was some animosity between some of the parents uh, about this new team that was come, being formed, and they were kind of picking people from other teams and stuff. And so th those two, that team basically split off into two teams. And my hardest decision of my childhood was choosing to stay with the original team or go with you know the team that I thought was going to better suit me for my future in baseball. Uh, so yeah, I. I that's funny that that's the hardest part of my childhood, I think. Yeah, okay. So which which way did you go? So I went, obviously, with the professional player and the professional scout. I mean, if you need <laughs> I, I – was, I was looking at it from, like, a networking standpoint. Like, okay, these guys are going to know people in baseball, in Major League. They're going to know the right scouts. They're going to know coaches. And, you know, that, that's going to better prepare me for my future, whether it be college or whatever after. Uh, so yeah, I, you know, I, so going through, oh man, actually the second hardest decision of my life came when it came, when it came to which high school I was going to, because I had always prepared to go to a private all boys school, uh, which excelled in baseball and hockey. And so I go try out and the coach is really impressed. He, you know, he, he asked me to come back. And, you know, I'm getting calls like every week from, you know, seeing like what my decision is because it was a big decision. My parents, 
they made a decent living, but I was the oldest of six kids. So yeah, Holy there was God. a lot of financial burden that came along with private school at the time. I think it was like eight grand a year. And they would also have to pay somebody to drive me to school every single day, which was 30 to 40 minutes away, depending on traffic, you know, and that would have cost 200 bucks a week. And my parents were always struggling for money. So I, <coughs> excuse me, I ended up go, going to orientation at this private school. And, you know, I think I even went for like a week and then I just went down to my parents. So I'm like, well, actually my parents approached me today and said, okay, this is when I knew it was going to be a struggle for them. And I knew they could, they could have reached out to my uncle or my grandpa for help if I said yes, but I just felt so guilty that they were coming to me and offering, Hey, we will build you your own room in your basement and finance your first car. If you just decide to go to this new public school, that's opening up like a couple miles away. And as much as it pained me, like I wasn't going to put my parents in that situation. And so the new school, which, it, it was a couple years old, but obviously in order to build a great baseball program, you gotta, you gotta be around for a couple years, you know? Uh, and so I went there and just the coaching was horrible and, you know, we really didn't, we, we, we sucked as a team throughout my whole, you know, so I'm not getting the looks at or anything like that. In uh, it was one of those coaches that had to play everybody. So it was just a really loser mindset type of school when it came to their sports program so so all right so let me just interrupt you really quick what what did that do to your like what did that do to your mindset as far you know knowing that I mean that's a pretty hard decision like do I help save my parents the money and and forfeit working with these other coaches and stay at this school that's fucking going nowhere yeah, I don't think that I was aware at the time. I was still so young that I didn't, I wasn't fully aware of the implications that that would have on my career as a baseball player. So sure. it's one of those things where it's like, okay, so this is cool. I'm still going to be playing baseball. I'm, I'm good enough to still get seen. But it just, it was a very night and day difference between exposure, coaching, and everything that I needed to make it to the next level. And I did end up getting offered a couple scholarships, you know, fast forwarding. Uh, throughout high school, I got offered a couple of scholarships, but it really just hit me hard when I wasn't getting offered like D1 school scholarships, full rides and all this shit. And it was just like, fuck, man, maybe I'm not as good as I think, you know, and that was that was a hard thing to accept because I was still once again, I was still getting all the accolades and I was still making first team all state, all conference. And it's like, OK, but where where's the offers? Right. And uh, so, yeah, I. I wasn't even sure if I wanted to play because I had never thought about going to college while not playing baseball. So I'm like, well, shit, what the fuck am I going to do? Because once it came around and I wasn't getting those offers, I had to really have a, like a really good talk with myself about whether or not I wanted to keep going. Cause at the same time, like that school also made me lose a passion for the sport because I went from winning almost every game with an amazing team, amazing coaches and just like a champion mindset to use becoming used to losing. And I was just like, fuck man, this ain't even fun for me anymore. And so that's what that high school decision ended up doing for me. Uh, and then the summer, so I ended up accepting a college. It, this is actually funny because it comes full circle. The baseball coach that uh, was a professional for the Texas Rangers 
he ended up getting a job coaching for a local college. And he goes, hey, come try out. And I'm like, dude, I just don't know if I want to play anywhere. He goes, no, you need to come try out. Like, I know you're expecting these offers, but come play here for two years. We'll work on some stuff, and then we'll get you an offer at a, a university. And so I, I went to the tryout. I fucking hit, and he's, <laughs> this is funny. I hit like two home runs in the, in the batting practice portion, uh, threw a guy out from right field from, you know, third base. Like I was killing the trial. The only thing I sucked at was because I could, when you played on that, on his team as a younger kid, every single person was taught how to pitch. Every single, basically everybody on that field could play every single position. Uh, which was really cool because that taught you a lot about the game of baseball, right? And so we could all pitch, but, man, that tryout, I hadn't pitched in, like, a couple of years, and I was only hitting, like, 85 and, you know, low 80s. I'm like, fuck, man. Like, my, my arm safety was still there, but my, because of my mechanics, hadn't been worked on in so long, I wasn't able to get the drive or anything to get that real power behind the ball. Uh, but anyways, I killed the tryout. I accepted the offer. They were going to pay two years for school, all my books and everything. And then I called the head coach, like, but then summer happened and I'm in like this scrub league, right. With my friends and I'm playing left field and this guy hits a line drive out, catch it. And I try to throw the guy out at home I did, but I immediately dropped to the ground afterwards. My shoulder, I fucking tore my shoulder. Like a rotator. Yep. A month before I was supposed to go to college, I tore my rotator cuff and, uh, Dude, I didn't – they were – I went to go see a doctor, and he was telling me, like, it's nine months to 12 months recovery time. And I'm like, I got a red shirt my first year of college. So it took me a couple I, – I called the coach. I told him what was up. And I'm like, dude, I really appreciate the offer, but I think I'm going to hang up the cleats. Like, it's time. Uh, I just don't have the passion for it anymore. And, you know, I just – with this injury, like, I don't want to have to go get surgery. I don't want to have to – fucking have a sling on my arm for you know six nine months and so yeah that was a that was a major decision the problem with it after that was I didn't know what the fuck I was going to do like with my life I bounced around I before I was 20 years old I had gone through almost 10 jobs uh yeah I mean I, I was working since I was 15 so you you worked you worked and fucking played baseball as much as you did. This episode of the Successful Life Podcast is brought to you by House Call Pro. Whether you're looking to streamline your operations, reduce paperwork, or boost revenue, House Call Pro is your all-in-one business solution. Transform your business today with essential tools and support designed to drive efficiency and deliver exceptional customer service. To learn more, click the link in the show notes. Oh, yeah. I, I, I was working ever since I was 15. So I would go to, a, uh, you know, actually at 15, I worked at my uncle's nursery. So on nights that I didn't have practice, I would go to his nursery and uh, shovel bags of rocks and bag the rocks and shit like that. So they'd have some for the next day. Uh, and then I ended up working at a restaurant, being a busser. So that was right after school till 2 a.m. in the morning. My mom would have to come pick me up. I didn't even have a license or a car till I was 18. Uh, 
So yeah, I had, I always had friends around that drive me, that drove me around, and I just never took the test. Like that's another instance on like my parents really not parenting, right? Right, right. I didn't show the the effort to like go out and get my driver's license or to study for it. They were just like, all right, well, I guess he's just not going to have a driver's license. <laughs> that's insane. I know, like, <laughs> the way that they were. And it just, like, I wasn't bitching about not having a driver's license. So it just, it was one less thing that they didn't have to worry about. Uh, but yeah, I had, I had like over 10 jobs before I turned 20. And that was just because I, I just didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. You know, at the time I thought making 40 grand a year was like the pinnacle of, like, you know, I got a couple of friends that are graduating high school and, you know, they're getting an associate's degree and they're making all this money, right? They're able to buy a Ford Mustang. Right. <laughs> you know? That's, that's kind of like the life that I, you know, and so you, you, I'm sure been through this when you're trying to figure out your career at that young of an age, you're like, okay, well you, you immediately start looking at how much they get paid versus what the work actually is, which is holy fuck, man. I can't believe that that's how, like, that's how I was thinking. It's like, okay, well truckers get paid like 60 grand a year. Maybe I'll be an on the road trucker. Right. And so you start looking into that and you're like, you know, there's all those certifications and different licenses. Like, no, this, this isn't going to work. It's too much work. And then you, I was just looking for the lowest hanging fruit that would get me the most. You right. Know? right. I've been there. Totally been there. But you just, without all that life experience and, and not taking the time to really figure out what I wanted out of life. Like I was just, you know, reaching blindly at, at random shit. And so that's why, I mean, in my life, I've had over 20 jobs. And this, this recent job uh, with First Form and Andy Priscilla, that I've been with them for nine years. And that's about, I would say, six years longer than anybody else. Wow. So, so how did you get, so how, how did you even start with Andy? Okay, so... My randomness here, I have, let's fast forward to, I'm 21. I'm work, I'm working some fucking stupid job. I'm at ITT tech. I'm thinking that I'm going to, I went there because I wanted to be a hacker, right? <laughs> <laughs> so I go in for information security and I'm in like my, my first semester and I'm like, this sucks. I went out of this shit. So I switched my major over to game design, like video game design. I'm like, all right, cool. I'm going to make video games for a little Of course. Of course you fucking did. So I do that. And then another semester goes by. I'm like, no, this is fucking stupid. So I, I randomly see this commercial for uh, UTI, Universal, Universal Technical Institute out in Orlando. You know, because I loved cars at the time. Like at, at in that, in those years, I had a 97 Cobra that I would just, I would go home and work on just for the fuck of it. Like just to figure out how it worked and, you know, change the spark plugs like every 2,500 miles. I'm stupid. <laughs> it was something like to keep me busy, but I'm like, all right, cool. Well, I can go to the school and I'll, I'll end up working on BMWs and Mercedes and all this cool shit. And so I made a random decision. And right after seeing that commercial, like I have never been sold in my life, but that sold me. And I'm like, and it's in Florida and I can't stand St. Louis. So I went the next day, I told my girlfriend, I go, Hey, and we have been together for about a year and a half at this point. I'm like, Hey, I'm going, I'm moving to Florida. I'm going to this school and I'm expecting her to like break down in tears, cry, you know, and 
basically tell me that she's not moving with me, which means that we're breaking up. Like I was fully emotionally prepared for that. And it was just like, you know, like my decision, I'm at peace with this. And I remember she's like, okay, when do we leave? And I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I was like kind of hoping this to go a different way. <laughs> but then my mind starts working and I'm like, okay, well, that means we're going to have two incomes and I'm not going to have to pay rent by myself. Like very selfish thinking. And she was, an, she was an amazing girl. Uh, but we moved down to Florida and it is just the greatest years of my life. I ended up not going, first off, funny story. This is how, this is another example of my parents just like, Hey, yeah, like go, go do this thing. My mom helps me move, like rents a U-Haul, moves all of our shit down there. <laughs> Dude, this is embarrassing. I get down there. I don't even have an apartment secured yet. I just go to this apartment complex that I find online that looked really cool. And I don't like, I didn't even apply yet. So my mom's like, Oh, you haven't applied yet? I go, no, I was going to do that here. Like it can't be that big of a process. Right. So, you know, without even thinking of a first and last month rent, which I didn't have, my mom had to front that. And I'm like, wow, I am really not prepared for life. <laughs> I was down there with no apartment or money for whatever reason. I just thought it was going to happen. Uh, I didn't, I hadn't even applied to the school yet. And when I did finally get to that school, I, I just asked myself a simple question that I probably should have asked like before moving down there, which was, do I want to be underneath the hood of a car for the rest of my life? Mm. And that answer was immediate. No. Like, why would I, why would I think this is cool? Like the allure of working for those prestigious brands like Mr. Mercedes and BMW, very appealing to me because I liked cars, but at the same time, I don't want to work on other people's cars. I want to work on mine and that's it. And now I don't even want to work on mine. Like, fuck that. <laughs> Having to get my oil changed and drive to the oil change place is enough of a pain in the ass. <laughs> I totally so, agree. So, yeah, uh, I ended up not going to UTI. And I'm like, okay, I'll just get a job. So I bounced around from job to job. I worked as a, car, a used car dealer, uh, like, you know, Dodge. Like, but you want to talk about selling something that you're not passionate about. <laughs> We're going to Dodge dealership. Yeah. <laughs> Dude. yeah I lasted I lasted like the two weeks of training and then two weeks after that I ended up getting closing like a lease about a $500 check like a month later I didn't even know what the fuck it was for because I didn't know that that closed the, on the lease uh for this couple but after that I went to go work for uh Olive Garden I was a server there or no I'm sorry a buster there because I had done that before and I knew I could do it again <laughs> right and after that, I got a job at uh, EA Sports. I was a video game tester. Really? Which was really fucking cool. But it's not what everybody thinks. Like, everybody thinks that you're just sitting around playing video games all day. Well, technically, if you're in the infant stages of a video game, like, the code is still pretty new, that game's breaking every five fucking minutes, and you're recording it on this little TV, and you're trying to recreate the bug. You know, okay, so I'm on – because my name is on Tiger Woods on nine for a week. So if I'm playing this game and I'm on hole nine and I hit the ball and as soon as I hit the ball and it goes in the air and I unplug the controller, what happens? Or I hit it this way. Does the camera go in the right direction? Do I get the right air message? Is the grammar right whenever the air message comes on? All this shit. So you have to recreate the air while recording it. And then once you do, you take it over to another computer. You write up what's happening to the developer and uh, – you upload the video file. 
So yeah, that doesn't sound like fun at all. It's not that fun. Not until you get <laughs> fucking, you know, the last stage of the game and you're literally playing like a very polished game. And then even then you're still playing a fucking video game for nine hours and you're forced to play that one video game. And, but I ended up leaving before I ended up leaving around like month five because I got a job offer and we were, I was only on a six month contract for EA sports. And then depending on your, your output, as far as a, a QA test or like how many bugs you reported, blah, 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 and other factors depended on those determined whether or not you would be kept on as a full-time employee. And I wasn't willing to risk that because I was only getting paid $10 an hour. And I went to go work for Walgreens as a pharmacy tech in this new program that they had, which was in-house pharmacy techs. Like you weren't at an actual retail location. We had like, I was like the first of 12 pharmacy techs. And then there was 12, uh, pharmacist so basically what would happen is we would get a script sent to us with the sig code you know what the doctor would say you know take one tablet by mouth every day and then i would have to translate the sig code into fucking english you know <laughs> so it's like, i'm sure it was a job in itself yeah it is so it's like tk1 po ed so take one pill every day by mouth and so that would get submitted and it would go to the pharmacist behind me right and then they would just double check it make sure that they're not overdosing or cross uh, taking different medications that conflicted with each other. And that was my job. I would look at the SIG code, translate, repeat. And I worked at that job for like actually a year and I, I kind of enjoyed it. But then my, what would be my business partner, what I got into photography, uh, you know, he brought me along on a shoot. He was one of my best friends down there. And, you know, I, that's how I, we went to this car show. And we started handing out business cards like, Hey, we do car photography. We do real estate photography, like kind of hustling at the car shows because we knew that they were wealthy guys and that they loved their cars. They had a passion about cars. And yeah, we got our first gig and it was actually a, uh, fuck. I think he was, I think he was the CEO of MetLife at the time. Uh, he had a brand new ZR1 Corvette. We took, he took us to Sebring International Raceway, uh, to take the photos and stuff. He actually ended up taking us in the car with him. My business partner ended up puking in his car because he wasn't used to like going. Oh my God. Yeah. And then that was, that was my life. uh, The next year, which was just doing videography jobs. And life was amazing. Like we freelanced it. I would wake up every day at whatever time I wanted to, if we didn't have a job, go to the gym, uh, play racket after working out, I would play racquetball for like two hours. And then usually by that time it was, you know, around the evening time to where my business partner's roommate drew, we would go to the volleyball courts because it was a very new complex, but they just didn't put much money into the, their volleyball court. It's like, Hey, we have sand in the net. We don't need any more. So and they didn't really pay anybody to take care of the upkeep of it. Like, you know, rake the sand or anything. So we would go over there every day around the same time, like four or five and, you know, rake the sand, do whatever we needed to do. We ended up putting, we ended up convincing the apartment building to buy us poles and netting. So, because there was a lake on the other side of the fence that if you like really got a hold of one and it bounced over or flew over, it was going in the lake and you had to wait like 15 minutes for the bounce to push it to the shore. Oh God. So, yeah. And then after that, usually my girlfriend would be getting back from work and we would go, there was a bar 
on site that had like live music and you know bar food and darts and we would drink eat and just have fun every single night like it was it was an amazing time of my life and then fast forward uh my dad though well my dad got forced out of or forced into retirement from Daimler Chrysler. He worked at the power plant here in St. Louis that closed down and he didn't know what he was going to do. He got two year severance. So he got like, I don't know, 120 grand uh, after taxes. And so my girlfriend at the time was getting really homesick. We had been away for like two and a half years and so with those two things combining, my dad asked if I was interested in starting a family business. He wanted to do modular outdoor kitchens. And right. regardless of what it was, he could have told me that he wanted to install security systems or whatever. I, I've always been very attracted to having a family run business. You know, I've like, for instance, like even if it didn't happen with my family, I would want to marry into like a girl whose family had a business and that would eventually get, you know, absorbed into that because I just, I love that dynamic. And so I, we ended up packing up, leaving, going back to St. Louis, which I and back into my parents' house, which was not fun. Uh, and my girlfriend's still living with me and, uh, Jesus, the recession. Hit, so I'm, I'm like the only one that's doing anything for the business. My dad's doing a little recon, like, Hey, what kind of, what kind of, materials do we need what what how big should we build these things and what price point should we should we try to do them at meanwhile i'm doing all the marketing you know i'm making all the business cards and i'm setting up the website and all that back-end shit that he has no clue how to do and then about five or six months into that the recession hits and my dad has apparently blown through all of the fucking money somehow he, he they didn't prepare me for life and they really are very irresponsible when it comes to their life too sometimes. Cause he, the first thing he did with that uh, money is he bought a new truck, like not new, new, but like, I think it was like 30 grand. He bought a bike, which in his mind, he's saving gas mileage, <laughs> but it was like a $20,000 bike. Right. And then, uh, without telling my mom, he put like, I think it was either 40 or 50 grand into the mortgage, which they just refinanced and it, w it didn't even pay off the mortgage. So it's like, what's the fucking point? Like you have, we need like a year's worth of runway here in order to make this thing work. And now you're telling me that you're going to be out of money in a couple months. And his whole thought process is I'm going to save interest. If that, like we just, they, they just refinanced. No, I know. But still, even if you're saving the fucking interest, it's not enough to fucking give up $50,000. Like, no, in his head, it was the right thing to do for some reason. It yeah. Was, obviously, it was not. Like there's time to <laughs> pay off some bills and then there's time to fucking save money. <laughs> right. So, yeah, like uh, once that happened, I found out that I moved back to St. Louis. I moved away from this amazing life. And I went from that to thinking I was going to have a family run business and, you know, we were going to sell $30,000 kitchens, you know? So yeah, once the recession hit, it's like, okay, well, people are not going to, people in St. Louis are not going to be able to pay 20 to 30 grand for a kitchen in the middle of a recession when they can only use it for six, seven months out of the year. <laughs> like, right. So yeah, it was very much uh, a nice dose of reality hit.
so I, I got into like a really deep, like state of depression without even knowing it. Like I didn't wake up depressed, but my actions kind of definitely told me I was depressed. I put on like my normal weight is around 185 and dude, I got up to like 211. That's I'm 510. Like that's fucking big for me. So I remember just being in the bathroom one day and I was take I, I was like, fuck man, like when did this happen? And then you start remembering all the, all the times you like justified, like I would like, because I had a conversation with my girlfriend, like, okay, I need to get my act in gear. She's like, well, you pretty much play video games and you ask me to get, you know, fast food for you every night when I come home from work. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, but the, the catalyst to make me kind of look in that mirror was, uh, I found out that my girlfriend had gone on a date with somebody else because I was like this guy without a job who's just playing video games with his brothers, you know, for like three or four months and slowly getting fatter and fatter and fatter. And it's like, obviously in retrospect, I could see why she would like, you know, get scared, even though we were, I thought she was kind of like blindly in love with me and never do that just because we've been together and been through so much over the years. But yeah, she ended up going on a date. I found out and she broke down one night and says, I'm not happy. And she ends up leaving me that night. And me, I remember thinking like, holy fuck, I can't lose her because she is literally the only thing I had left. And if I lose her, like, what the fuck, what am I going to do? And so I, I run down downstairs. I'm like, mom, Alex just left me. Like I got to go find her and talk to her. And I hop in my car and I remember my mom saying, be careful. Like I am. And I wasn't speeding or nothing, but I'm going down our main street and there's a Walgreens right here. And this kid, which ends up being my neighbor's kid, pulls out in front of me and I swerve and I hit his rear end. We do one of these. My car is absolutely totaled. I still have pictures on my phone. Uh, call my mom. I'm like, I'm, I've been in an accident. Blah, blah, blah. She's freaking out. <laughs> like, yeah. So that was like the lowest of the low right there. I'm on the side of the street explaining to the cops what happened. Meanwhile, I'm thinking about my girlfriend not picking up and not answering my voicemails where I told her I've been in an accident, you know, but I understand why she didn't. Like, that seems like an act of like desperation at, in that time. But, and ironically, yeah. it was in front of the Walgreens. So, yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Right. Wasn't that the place that you said you work? Walgreens? Yeah, 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 I did. But <laughs> I'm the actual Walgreens. But right. yeah, fast forward, we end up working things out. And, you know, because I get this question a lot, especially from girls, like, why did I ever get married? Because, you know, we actually, we got engaged. What really scared her too, the part that I left out was I bought her a ring. I sold all of my photography equipment and I bought her a ring. Uh, it was like, an $8,000 fucking ring. Like, this was not just some like Cracker Jack box shit. <laughs> right, right. Uh, and so, yeah, I bought her ring and she ended up finding it. And that's what kind of instigated the conversation of like, I'm not happy type of thing. And she thought I was going to like put, you know, put her in this, like back her up into a corner with this ring and kind of force it. But we ended up working things out, uh, you know, under some certain stipulations that, you know, I get back in my routine that I had, like, you know, find a job, find something to do. And yeah, I, I had a couple jobs, but fast forward, we ended up getting married, uh, went to Jamaica destination wedding. And 
you know, we ended up moving to an apartment. I ended up uh, getting a job at a car dealership, taking photos for their inventory. Actually, I was doing two car dealerships at once. And so in that time, I, I ended up, uh, I don't remember what, car, what kind of car I had. It doesn't matter. But I, I was doing better at work. I was saving up some money. I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I need to get a new car. Oh, I was using my brother's Jeep Wrangler. That's what it was. And so I got a car. It was a BMW 330i. It was six speed, freaking very cool looking. Uh, I think I paid like 18 grand for it. It was awesome. And it was when I was buying a car, I ended up actually meeting Andy. When I went to go finalize the paperwork, I had just left work. Uh, and at that time, actually, I was working. I quit the Nissan dealership. I remember this now a little bit clearly, more clearly. I quit the Nissan dealership to go work for a pool installation company, which, oh, fuck, you want to talk about labor, man. You're messing with, like, metal rebar all damn day. You're messing with concrete, digging, like, fucking hated it. Ugh. Yeah. But anyways, I'm, like, all dirty, and I, I don't want to get in my new car with, uh, you know, these dirty clothes. So I bring a change of clothes. And it, I just so happened to have a, a supplement superstore, Andy's retail store, like over my shoulder. And he goes, hey, nice. Like I walk into the dealership. He's talking to the owner, which was a very good friend of his at the time. And he goes, hey, man, nice shirt. I'm like, I don't know who the fuck he is. So I'm like, thanks. And he goes, I'm Andy. I own supplement superstores. And I, it took me. I'm like, oh, cool. Thanks for hiring me, dude. Because I, I had previously gone in there for like three separate interviews which is a normal process for them, you know, to vet people. And so I went through three interviews, never, never got a call back. And I'm like, all right, whatever, fuck you, you know? And so I was very like snarky. I'm like, yeah, hey, thanks for hiring me, dude. And he's like, what do you mean? I'm like, dude, I went to three interviews and I thought I did pretty well, but clearly like I can't get a job at your store. And he goes like, who do you talk to? Blah, blah, blah. Needless to say, two weeks later, like I had uh, a job at the Manchester location here in St. Louis, Missouri. But, and I, I stuck with that for two years until a, a situation happens with a pregnant lady. She came like normal customer. She comes in with her daughter and she's also pregnant. I help her out and very nice giving her water, you know, the regular, like I said, so I knew what she wanted. You know, I bring her up to the counter. We start chit chatting. She's telling me, telling me about like how far along she is, blah, blah, blah. And then we got on the subject of like how many she wants. And I'm like, the conversation came back to me talking about my brother because he had just, him and his wife had just had a kid like two years prior and they were talking about having another one. And that meanwhile, they're still living at my parents' house at like age 20 or 21. And it just annoyed the fuck out of me because I knew it was her idea because she was like trying to hold them together by having another kid. And I'm like, yeah, I, I know it's Ashley. Like just girls don't know when to stop. And she didn't give me any indication like that really bugged her. Uh, Cause we had another 10 minutes of conversation after that. And, you know, I walked her out and the next day I get a phone call and it, you know, my manager had just left and I'm like, Hey, what's up? This is Tyler. Uh, you know, how can I help you? And he's like, Oh, well, no, actually it's funny because I'm like, Hey, what they should call something the superstore. So I want to help you. He's like, Hey, it's your, it's your manager there. I'm like, no, man, he actually just left. My name's Tyler. Can I help you? And he goes, Oh, you're the motherfucker. 
And I'm like, what? <laughs> and so he goes, yeah, you told, you told my sister-in-law that kids just, or girls just don't know when to stop having babies and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, dude. <laughs> Fuck. Meanwhile, this guy is a blog writer for the St. Louis Blues. So he puts the whole company on blast saying, I said this and this, and it's like totally taken out of context and everything. And so <coughs> oh, excuse me. they had to do damage control and fucking let me go after I put two and a half years in there. And so, uh, you know, I see Andy at the bar like three or four months later for a Christmas party. And, you know, we have a great night. Like I ended up leaving my family and going to party with him and Sal, Sal, Andy's brother. And, you know, it was just a good time. It's like, man, I miss you. I'm sorry to let you go. I'm like, dude, I get it. It's fine. And then another couple months passed by and I'm shooting Andy a message through Facebook uh, for an idea. You, you know, the maker's grill or what are they called? The, it's like kind of bodybuilder fast food for the most part. I'm like, dude, you know, you guys, you guys should probably, I, I've been wanting to do this idea, but like, obviously I just can't like, you guys need to run with it, blah, blah, blah. And I kind of like laid out like a business plan, business model. And he doesn't even respond to that. He goes, dude, do you want a job? I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, do you want to come back to work? I'm like, sure. Cause at the time I was actually, uh, I had gotten back into video games. Right. But this time it was more productive. My brother used to paint these giant lures that sell for like 60 to 80 bucks, like fishing lures, like <laughs> with airbrush them, like with custom, very re- hyper realistic designs. And I asked him, I'm like, Jordan, could you airbrush a, like an Xbox controller? And he goes, yeah, I don't see why not. So him and I dove really deep down into that and started making custom controllers that we would sell on Xbox for like 100% profit. Uh, yeah, we, I mean, we would, buy, we would buy a controller for like 60 bucks and we would turn around and sell it on eBay, especially in like Q3, Q4 when Christmas was coming around. And these were like, designs that nobody else was doing and you know we would sell it for like 120 to 160 bucks sometimes our highest one got up to a bit of like 250 but i mean of course we had you know some man hours involved but at the time we were living with my parents and like we were we were really starting to develop a company here because we ended up going you know how they have midnight releases for yes yes we ended up setting up a table and selling like we got in good with the manager at our local one at GameStop and we're like hey man we want to do a raffle for like one of these controllers and just kind of like hype up the crowd because they're going to be in line for six hours and he's like all right yeah that's cool and so dude I just remember like making a Bacardian diet and I'm fucking nervous like here we are we've got like these four controllers that we're raffling off for like each raffle is like five bucks and you get unlimited like you can put in as much and we're doing a, a copy of the game and blah, blah, blah. And, dude, the people just fucking loved it. We did, like, three or four of them. So here we have, like, almost this promotional company starting to take shape. And I ended up getting that job back with Andy. And I'm like, Jordan, I got I to gotta take this, like, more stable thing and, like, kind of get my life together. Uh, and he understood. But it, what was funny was when the game release season came back around, you know, in, like, October, November – we were getting calls from GameStop from like multiple locations being like, Hey, like, are you guys, are you guys still doing this? Because like, we got people calling in and asking if you're going to be there. And we're like, Holy shit, man. Like, that's crazy. And that's just the thing, right? Like 
people don't realize the amount of opportunity that's out there and how, you know, as cliche as it sounds that you really can take something that you're extremely passionate about it and make your own market for it. Right. Yeah. You can make your own market. You don't have to confine yourself to, you know, what's what you see with your eyes. Uh, so yeah, I get back with, you know, with Andy, things are going great. I get kind of, I work for S2 and first form at the same time. And then I eventually move all the way over to first form. And, you know, I was, I was in charge of their content. That was when social media was just becoming popular as far as like Instagram and YouTube. So this is around the 2011 uh, age. Like I, I made the first post on our Instagram. Like that's how new it was. <laughs> and, you know, a year, no, two years go by. And uh, I remember, I remember coming home and going right back to work on my computer and my wife comes home and uh, we've been married. No, it was one year. Exactly. We've been married for one year and she comes through the door, goes to the fridge. We say, hi, like I'm not getting up to like greet her or anything. You know, it's like, Hey, Hey, it was like, it was literally felt like she was a roommate. And I just had this just kind of like profound feeling come over me, just making me question like, the fuck man am I gonna put up with this for like 50 years because as soon as she got her drink she like went over into our master bedroom and just you know I know she like turned on one of her shows and I'm like no 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 and so my the gears start turning dude and I'm just like all right I remember the first thing thinking is like fuck man if I ask for a divorce I'm gonna lose my best friend because my best friend was married to her cousin and I know that we're not gonna be able to hang out anymore and I'm like well fuck if that's the first thought I'm having about you know, being scared about getting a divorce, that's a big red flag. (laughs) (laughs) I'd say so. (laughs) I'm not even concerned about what she thinks. I'm concerned about losing my best friend and what her parents are going to think. You know, because I was was feeling guilty that they just spent like 15 grand to take us all to Jamaica, you know? So the stupid fucking reasons to stay in a marriage. But I feel like more often than not, people, they, they justify staying in that very uncomfortable situation. Uh, for the dumbest reasons, you know, they don't see the, the reasons why they should get out of it. And I had this conversation last night with somebody that, you know, because everybody talks about their comfort zone. Well, I think, I think the majority of people, they're in a comfort zone, but it's way more uncomfortable. They're just not aware of it. Does that make sense? Dude, I've been married. This is my third marriage. Fuck yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, not even just married, but, you know, in their career. In- sure. Like it's comfortable to them only because they're used to it, but every day is super uncomfortable. You know, if they were just to actually go follow what they really wanted to do, you know, and make those hard decisions to get a divorce or make, uh, take a risk and go all in on the business. Like they would ultimately be way more happy because what they're doing internally is just denying what they want every single fucking day. And that's just, that's going to eat away at you, whether you know it or not. And it's going to make you develop really bad habits and, just become unhappy over time. A vicious cycle. Dude, it's such a vicious cycle. So I've, I'm very fortunate that I'm able to recognize when I'm in a bad situation very quickly and not be scared to make that hard decision because I know what's on the other side of that, right? Uh, which is a lot less anxiety. Like there is good anxiety. There is good stress. As long as you're doing what you want to do, like that, that shit's all usually good because it can actually motivate too. Uh, like I had a deadline for something with uh, a 
project I'm working on, but it's something that I'm really loving. So I was up to like 4 a.m. working on. I would never do that for, I mean, I have done that for first form, but it was only because like I was kind of forced in a way. It wasn't, I wasn't excited while I was doing it, you know? <laughs> so yeah, we ended up getting divorced and then, uh, you know, I'm, I was, I haven't dated anybody since my divorce, which was in 2014. And, you know, I feel like I learned, I would never say that I regretted marriage. I haven't done anything I've ever regretted, whether it be baseball, quitting that or anything. Because I mean, if, if you're smart enough to look at it, like it's got you to where you are today. So I'm very fortunate as to where I've gotten today, the lessons I've learned. And it came from risking stuff and making the hard decisions. Right. So yeah, never regretted marriage and uh, never dated after because like my standards for what I wanted in a girl got fucking 50 X. I remember sitting down like a month or two after I got divorced, like literally signed the paperwork, went to the judge and I'm like writing down, what do I want in a girl? What do I want in a wife? And dude, it was fucking monstrous list, like unreasonable. Like to give you an example, first language, must not be English. <laughs> That's pretty specific. <laughs> yeah, but how many girls fit that criteria? Like a ton. It was just something that, like, I wanted the complete opposite of her. Sure. Uh, don't get me wrong. My ex was an amazing wife, amazing girlfriend. She was gorgeous. She just, she didn't have that ambition that I would look for. She didn't, like, I just always felt like I was settling just because it was the easy route. Sure. And I, she took great care of me and we never fought or anything. It was just one of those things where it's like, Hey, you're more like my roommate than my wife. And I'm looking for certain things in a, you know, um, wife, husband kind of relationship. Uh, so yeah, then, I mean, I worked for first form, obviously all the way up until now. And in that time I've gotten to experience a lot of fucking cool shit. You know, I'm very fortunate for the opportunity that Andy gave me. You know, I ended up moving up the ranks. I was creative director for First Form, Andy's Brands. Uh, and, yeah, I'm just very fortunate at the experience that I've gotten in my life that has taught me so much. I've been exposed to some really amazing, iconic people. And, you know, then all the people like the Arte Syndicate. Like, if you're in the syndicate and you're watching this, you better really fucking realize that, the truth that you're not the money that you're paying is not to see Andy and it or to learn from them. Your, your, your network that you have inside that is the fucking where the gold is. Uh, because you know, whether or not Joe who has a laundromat service and you know, Greg, who's got fucking financial, like the business is, you know, everybody deals with the same shit. It's just everybody has a different perspective and how they would approach a problem. So this guy might be able to help this guy and vice versa. So that's where the real value is with that group. And, you know, with the people that, you know, over the years with first form that I've been exposed to, like that's the real value I saw with working so closely with Andy and being on the podcast, being a part of that is just being exposed to those types of people. And, you know, they're, when you, when you surround yourself with those kind of people, like you're just kind of, okay, I need, I'm far from where I, it just humbles the fuck out of me. You know? So, uh, so let me interrupt you just for a second because oh. I've, uh, so to that exact point, right. 
you did not surround yourself with the people as a kid with baseball, right? As soon as you stop surrounding yourself with the people that were fucking killing it, you were winning like hell and you shifted to the other side. If you look at the comparison. Yeah. Yeah. I never really thought of it like that. It's crazy. That was the first thing. As soon as you said that, I'm like, he literally stopped surrounding himself with people that were kicking ass and surrounded himself with people who were half-assing things or, or didn't know what they were doing or whatever the case may be. And you fell into that trap, so to speak. Yeah. I mean, dude, it just goes back to the, you know, the cliche saying like, don't never be the smartest person in the room or, you know, you are the sum of your five friends. Like that's not bullshit. That's not just something that people say, like people say it because it's so fucking true. And until you experience it yourself, like the effect that it can have on you, it's like, you're just not going to understand it. Uh, so yeah. Where was I? Uh, worked for first one, worked for Andy. The experience is unreal. Like, dude, I fucking fly on private jets all the time. Like, I do a lot of shit that most people in this world will never get to experience. Uh, and it's been fun. And until recently, I, you know, I, I've been, well, rewind last year, I posted a picture about hitting our 200th episode. It was around April, I think, or somewhere around there. And I asked people in the comments, like, hey, thank you for all the support, blah, blah, blah. Who should we have on our next 200 episodes, like, as a guest? And, you know, I'm getting all these suggestions. And then all of a sudden, I'm getting hit with the same motherfucker that I've never heard of. I go on his profile. Meanwhile, this guy's got, like, 30 different people hitting my comment section with just his name. And I'm like, this guy's got some sort of fucking bot or something. I go and check on all the people that are commenting. They're all like real people. Like, you know, I know how to sure. tell Bob, Bob and like, okay, who is this motherfucker? And I go on his page. He's, he's a developer over at Nike in Manhattan. And, uh, you know, he's started a couple of business. He's interviewed Gary Vee a couple of times on his YouTube channel. I'm like, all right, well, I don't really know this guy. So it just kind of like, I kind of like forgot about him. Like, okay, whatever. This guy convinced his whole phone book to, you know, say his name. Hi. <laughs> and, a couple months later, I'm out with one of my boys here in St. Louis, and he pulls out his dating, like his phone, and he goes on a dating app. Uh, I think it was Tinder or something. And then he fucking swipes out of it, and he goes on another dating app. I'm like, dude, how? what are you doing? He goes, I'm just seeing if I have any messages on my dating apps. I go, dating apps? Like, you have fucking plural dating apps? And he goes, dude, I have like three. I'm like, what the fuck? Like, why would you need three dating apps? And... <laughs> I'm like, how much do you pay him up? He goes, I don't know, probably like $60 combined. I'm like, God damn, dude. And so like that, that kind of struck something with me. I'm like, okay, clearly a lot of these dating apps are doing something very wrong because I went around to that bar and did immediate fucking market research because I was just like, I was so confused at why people would need more than one dating app. So I went over to this group of girls. I'm like, girls, sorry to bug you, but do any of you girls use dating apps? And if so, how many do you own? And I think I figured it out. It was like 63% of the people that I asked that night, because I was keeping a log on my phone, had more than one dating app. I'm like, holy fuck, man. Wow. Dude, and that was just crazy to me. So I just started thinking about that. And once again, it just kind of went in my back burner. And I ended up helping a friend through a divorce. Because I, you know, throughout the years of the podcast, 
And just with my experience being married, being divorced, uh, and I've always, I've always looked at relationships from a very practical way with my friends. Like these are the facts, like you can choose to like convince yourself of this story or whatever, but I'm telling you the facts from a very unbiased standpoint. So take it or leave it. You know, I've talked to friends and they're getting a divorce and I don't mean talk, but I mean like talk them through it and they've never been fucking happier. You know, I, I do believe that every breakup and every divorce is always for the best, no matter the circumstance. Like, yeah, that's a fair assessment. It's going to happen no matter what, or you're just going to be miserable for the rest of your life. Uh, so one of the girls I helped, uh, you know, we were talking about like her dating life randomly. And she's like, you really should like write a book about kind of your story and blah, blah, blah. Cause there's a lot I haven't gone into as far as my relationship past. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I've never considered writing or whatever. But one night I just like randomly sat down and I started writing like my story and I got like four chapters deep in the, I'll tell, I'll tell everybody this, the, the coolest part about writing out your story, if you've never done it, is the memories that get uncovered uh, that you haven't thought about in fucking years. Like, dude, I would be writing and I would just be like, like, oh my God, like I totally forgot that that happened. That's fucking nuts. So that's, it was very, it was very uh, just kind of addicting in a way. Like I couldn't, I couldn't wait to get home from work, get my workout in, and then just start kind of like writing I had a very unique approach to writing because like I said, I'm not a writer. And so I kind of wrote it as if I was sending you a text, like very informal, non-traditional, like, but it was very easy to read for the couple, you know, I sent it to Vaughn, I sent it to the girl that I was talking to uh, about, you know, relationships and shit. And they just really enjoyed it. Like, this is good. I'm like, all right, cool. And then one night I was, I continued writing and I just stopped. I'm like, okay. This is as fun as this is like, what is my end goal here? Cause I, I haven't really established that. Am I, am I looking to help one person? Am I, am I looking to help a hundred, you know, a million? Is this just going to be something that sits on Amazon and like my closest friends and only read it? Like then I'm feeling embarrassed around them because <laughs> I've uncovered. All this shit. <laughs> so, so I kind of like put that on hold. And then I start thinking about the dating. I'm like, well, I love relationships like talking about them and I'm very like a hopeless romantic in the way that like I the most common question I got after I got divorced is like oh would you get married again do you believe in marriage it's like of course I do it's just I was real enough with myself to realize that that wasn't right for me so I immediately thought like okay I'm gonna fucking make an app I don't I know a couple developers but I know that they are very traditional and their price their pricing and it's going to cost me a hundred grand with them. And so I started thinking like, who else do I know? And I remember Sim, the guy who got named in my comments all those times, he was a mobile app developer. And so I hit him up. I'm like, Hey man, I got this idea for an app. Uh, it's going to fucking change the game. And he's like, dude, that's so weird. I was literally just thinking like, there needs to be a new dating app. And from there on, we, we fucking went right into it. We were 50, 50 partners. We are 50, 50 partners. Uh, we hired a developer like two weeks later and started paying him in milestones. So like every two weeks we would give him, you know, once he completed a milestone, he got 500 bucks and then he got $500 to start the next milestone and repeat. And September of 2018, our app was 80% done. Uh, we hadn't bug tested or anything like that. And then some things happened to where, you know, he was moving jobs and 
family was located in Chicago. He was in Arizona or whatever. And he was just going through some, his wife was having another baby. They had two babies in the span of like the time that we've had our app, which is kind of crazy. So it kind of like got pushed and pushed and pushed, but we kept, we still kept working on it, you know, networking with more people, especially like, you know, people that we're going to reach out to on our angel round investing and just people in that industry or in the tech side. And so it's been, it's still been productive, you know, working on our pitch deck. And yeah, so as of, like, I've been thinking about it for probably six months, but as of uh, a couple of weeks ago, it's now what, November 2019, I put in my notice with Andy, with First Form, uh, to move to Portland, where my business partner now lives, and bootstrap this app, go all in on it, sell everything I own, and uh, yeah, because I would have major fucking regret if I did not do that. You know, at least because I have such an opportunity and I know how I I have the work ethic too, to where I, I, I know I can make it work if I just fucking put in the effort. I just know, like, I'm not scared of it failing. And even if it does, I've got fucking 10 other things I can do, but on my own time. And, you know, I just, I, I don't want to say I'm following my passion, but at the same time, like I'm, I am fulfilling you know, my needs at right now, which is I need to do something on my own. I need to create something on my own. So I don't know when my last day is with Andy, but it's probably at the end of this year, whenever we complete this round of 75 hard for him and he releases his, you know, his materials, like his book, his audio courses that he's going to come out with. So, yeah. So, um, and I assume you're wrapping up the documentary or I assume, are you still, is he still doing that or no? Yeah, yeah, that's still in the plans. We there's still so much to be shot, and I just leave them high and dry. You know, we've been we've been through so much together, and I respect the hell out of them. And that dude has taught me more than I could ever, you know, imagine. Especially in the short, like, I feel like I got three times the amount of information and knowledge that most people would get in that same time working for somebody else. So, you know, is he aggressive and loud and boisterous when? working for him of course but like i'm so used to that like dude i've been yelled at since i was seven years old playing baseball like that's nothing fucking new to me you know i can i can take the heat you know but it's just so me leaving has nothing to do with andy or anything for one i hate living in st louis uh and i had this that's the reason why you know i have this amazing penthouse downtown because it was something that made it not feel like st louis you know, it was something to come back home to and be proud of and just, I have amazing views, but it's, it's not enough. <laughs> so I'm willing to give that up. I'm willing to, I'm thinking about selling my car too, which I never thought I would sell because it took me 10 years to get it. Is it an R8? No, mine's a gesturing blue 2000, 2008 uh, Z06 Corvette. Okay. Maybe I just thought, I don't know why the hell I thought it was an R8. Jason has an R8. Who? Jason Kane. He's part of the Arte Syndicate. Oh, that's so funny. He started following me, actually. That's so fucking weird. Like, I just said, I think I was talking to Josh Kirk, and I was like, this guy named Jason Kane, like, I don't, he works at first form, but I don't know who the fuck he is. Anyway, so that's crazy, dude. I, so it, yeah, it was funny when we started out, you really didn't think this was going to be much of a, 
story, but I think he was pretty goddamn impressive. Why do you just like putting out there, you know, that I think I've accomplished anything in life? If I've accomplished anything, it's becoming very self-aware and having the, you know, the strength to make those difficult decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. (laughs) Like this is all the introduction to the actual book that I am writing right now in grand scheme. Like I want to take, you know, I want to take this, I am documenting. I I highly recommend like if you are doing a startup or if you are creating a business, uh, document everything. You don't need a videographer. You set your fucking phone. Like most of the time I'll set my phone up right here by my computer and I'll explain what just happened or what, I'm, you know, doing tonight to work on the app and what kind of milestone we're at and just random updates because I eventually want to take all of this and, you know, I'll record my business partner and I Skype all the time. I'll record those Skype calls because I want to take it to a fucking director or a writer one of these times and make a fucking movie out of it because I think if I am successful in the app and, you know, make it something big that it'll be a hell of a story. And even if it's not successful, it'll still be a hell of a story, you know, because there's not enough stories out there being told of people leaving their six figure corporate job, you you know, where they're fucking miserable at and just like going out there and giving everything up because we're in such a materialistic era right now to where to give everything up that you've worked for, for the past 10 years, it's just unheard of. Well, and you know, you're, you know, I'm sure at this point, like, it's like, oh, what the, what the fuck ever. But, like, for somebody that's not around somebody like, you know, Andy and around all the people that he, you get, you, that you mentioned, you, you've been able to meet and interact with, like, that in itself, I think for most folks, you know, it's hard to believe you would trade something like that up. In addition to, of course, whatever, ever how much money you make, it, if, does that make sense? Like, yeah. it's, I mean, I, it's, it's a, it's a fact that you get used to everything, right? What's that? I said you get used to everything. Right? Sure, of course. Yeah. So like being around Andy, like I look at him like, okay, it's, it's fucking Andy. Just another fucking dude. And like, and I've also, I've also never been one of those people that get starstruck or anything like that. Sure. You know, the, the coolest person I think I've ever met is Dr. Joe Dispenza. Like, oh my God. Yeah, dude. I can't, he's fucking amazing. Because he had an actual impact on my life. You know, when I was going through some very dark times, like seven, eight months ago. Uh, so like he was able to just kind of express things that I've always known just in a little bit different way. And it's like, fuck, okay, this guy's on to something. I like the way he talks. <laughs> dude, he, I'm, I'll be honest, man. He's the reason I can visualize. Yeah. He is the fucking, I mean, he, there's no question that dude has had an impact on my life. There is no fucking, I tell people about the placebo effect. I tell almost every call I've had, I mean, I bring that book up because it's been so. The placebo effect, that one? Yeah. yeah well, book. actually I've read both of them. I, I well, uh, three, I have three, but I, the, what the fuck? It was a little, ch- I don't know. I, I kind of lost me a little bit. I, but I listened to the audio book and that was the problem because he didn't, he didn't, he wasn't the one reading it. And oh. so it took, it took it away from me. Of course. So I don't know. I, uh, I should probably give it another stab because I think very highly. I think of it. Natural is my favorite book out of the three. 
Okay. Then maybe I should give it another stab for sure. I definitely would. Uh, but then again, like, I don't know how much of his YouTube content that you've consumed. Like I consumed, if there's a piece on YouTube, I've watched it twice at least. Yeah. Yeah. I have his shit like literally saved bookmarked on my phone. Well, what he's talking about is so dense that it takes you a couple times to like, you know, it's like reading a book from Seth Godin. You're just like, okay. Or I, like, I remember the first time I read, well, I didn't even finish it. The art of war. And I was like, I was so thankful that I didn't have a hard copy and I had it on Kindle because I was work. I was looking up every single fucking word in that book. Like I just felt I've never felt so dumb in my life. I'm like people talk like this. That's hilarious. That is fucking hilarious. Yeah, I highly recommend becoming supernatural. But yeah, back, back to your point. You know, like yeah, you know, being around those very influential, amazing people who have done a lot in this world. And in the business world, like it's cool, but at some point, it's like, fuck, man, I want to be one of those guys, and I can't be one of those guys if I am just in the shadow my entire life. Like, yeah. no matter, I knew it was time. As soon as I, I'm like, okay, I, I need to quit. What's that conversation going to be like? And I'm like, okay, if Andy offers me five million dollars a year to stay, am I staying? I was just like, no. Like, it was just a clear no. And I was like, fuck, it was kind of going back to the divorce thing, right? Like if they say this, or if I'm worried about this, you know, right? I just knew it was time to make that decision as soon as I knew like money would not change a thing. I have, I wouldn't move, you know, so I would have the same place. Right. I have, in my opinion, the best place in St. Louis. And then my car would up, get upgraded. Sure. I'd have a couple bottle services more a year. Like what right. is, what well, is that? Like I'd still be going to work doing the same mind numbing shit, you know, sitting behind a computer, getting bad posture and poor vision. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're so fucking right. And you know, I just, I don't think a lot of people, you know, see that. Well, it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. You know, people get comfortable and actually they're, they're actually uncomfortable, but they're they're not uncomfortness. Yeah. (laughs) Comfortability and uncomfortness. Absolutely. Just become so accustomed to it that it becomes their comfort zone, which is so fucked up. It is absolutely, and it's all about it's you know goes back to Joe Spins the programming, which I could talk about forever because, like I I fully bought into everything he says. Period. Yeah, I mean, dude, once you've had that that, that kind of veil lifted of what reality really is and what happiness is, and yeah, dude, it's just like fuck, man, I've been doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, listen, um, I, you know, I wish you luck, of, co- of course, on the app, and, and I'm sure you're going to do great. Um, and I, you know, obviously, I'll keep in touch with you. I've got to, I do have to end because I've got Nick. I don't know where the hell he is. I assume he's waiting on me right yeah. now. I'm about 15 minutes late. So, listen, thank you, Tyler. I really appreciate it, dude. It meant, meant a lot for you to uh, do this for me. So, yeah, thank you. Out, man. And uh, I'll see you soon. You got it, brother. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Thank you for tuning into the Successful Life Podcast. We hope today's insights have ignited your passion and provided tools to shape your leadership journey. Remember, greatness is a journey, not a destination. Continue your pursuit by exploring more resources and insights over at coreybarrier.com.
Until next time, keep leading, keep learning, and keep striving for excellence. Stay inspired and see you on the next episode.